0: Welcome to the Everyday Ultra podcast, a show designed to help you level up your training, crush your races, and ultimately become a better endurance athlete every single day. Whether you're an endurance athlete as a hobby or someone who wants to be the best in the sport, this is the show for you. I'm your host, Joe Corcion, and thank you so much for listening. Now, let's get into it. What's up everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Everyday Ultra podcast. I'm your host Joe Corsion and today we have my most favorite interview that I've done to date and I haven't even gotten into it yet but the reason why it's one of my favorites is because this guest today has been one of my inspirations in ultra running as I dove into my own journey with it. Uh, I remember I was on a bike trainer once and I saw his YouTube documentary all about crushing the Colorado Trail FKT and It was one of the videos that inspired me to dive headfirst into the sport. So to see him and, Really, to speak with him today on the podcast is a true honor. Um, Not only does he hold the FKT for the Colorado Trail, by the way, he also is one of the most decorated athletes in the 200 plus mile races, crushing the Triple Crown multiple times and even holding the course record on the races in there. He's known as the low carb runner for showing a revolutionary approach to low carb training as an ultra runner. And he is also one of the most kindest and humblest guys out there in the ultra running community. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Michael McKnight to the podcast. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Mike. Thanks for having me. That was quite the intro. Of course, (laughs) man. A little. (laughs) Of course, man. And uh, I I could probably go on and on about all all your accomplishments, including the one that you most recently did. And I don't want to spoil it, but can you give our listeners what your most recent incredible accomplishment was?
1: Uh, yeah. So I don't know how in depth you want me to go, but I just recently did a 24 hour race across the years in the Phoenix area. Um, see how many miles I can go in 24 hours, but, um, I made it a little experiment and I wanted to see if I could do it without eating any calories. Um, and I ended up being able to do it. So it ended up being about 118 miles on zero calories. Um, but I will specify and say I did have water and electrolytes, Cause I do see a lot of people um, thinking I did it without hydration as well, which I would never attempt, but yeah, it was just a 24 hour,
0: 118 mile attempt on no calories. So incredible, man. And I remember when you were leading up to it, telling all the people like going up to this, like this guy's going to do 24 hour race, zero calories. Everybody's mind was blown. And, uh, I know that you've done this before in the past too, um, for a hundred mile attempt with zero calories, but it was so cool that in this one, you took a more, uh, disciplined approach to measuring your levels and getting some data into there. And I definitely want to go into that and in that race a little bit, but before we go into that, and I know. There's a ton of podcasts out there with your story and your background and even the, uh, the Colorado Trail FKT video that goes a good depth in it. But just for like three to four minutes or really, really brief, uh, can you give like a little bit of your backstory and how you got into running? Um, again, we don't have to go into the whole details. because I know you've repeated it a million times, uh, but just setting the stage for people who are just listening to you for the first time.
1: Yeah so basically I grew up pretty inactive. Uh, I grew up on a dairy farm so I just felt like I didn't have time to do any physical activity Um, and I also grew up overweight so eventually I did find time to run a mile a day to lose weight and then once I lost weight I stopped doing that Um, and then about when I turned 21 I started running again just to get back into shape Um, not necessarily to lose weight but just to like kind of have like a, a routine, of physical activity, um, started to fall in love with it, broke my back in a skiing accident shortly after I got into it. Um, I had surgery. I was told I'd be in like bed for months. Like I, I ended up incompleting my college classes and deferred them for a full year. I lost my job because I thought I'd be, um, immobile for months. Um, <clears throat> But long story short, I ended up running approximately three to four weeks after I broke my back. And I it, like it didn't hurt any more than like the pain that I was already in. And so I just started running like half a mile to a mile a day just to see if it got worse. And it never did. And I actually ended up um, recovering fairly fast. Um, approximately like three months post-surgery, I was running 10 miles a day just because I felt great. I had nothing else to do. I didn't have college. I didn't have a job. All my friends were in college. So like my days consisted of waking up, running a lot, going to the gym, running some more, going to bed and just kind of repeat. And through that whole process, I met another, like I met an ultra runner. Uh, I didn't know ultra running existed. I thought like the marathon was what you trained for. And that was the furthest anybody had ever ran before. Uh, But he told me about like a 50 mile race that he was training for the following week told me about a hundred mile race that he was training for the following like a few months later um so just kind of like opened my my eyes to this whole new world and um, he kept inviting me on runs with him I finally joined him and I fell in love with it pretty quickly and then I ended up signing up for my first ultra which was a 28 miler and I did that about about when I was supposed to start running again it was just a little bit over a year after I broke my back
0: So that's kind of how it all started. So awesome, Mike. And thank you for sharing that. And I think the one thing that's just so cool about your story is that, like you said, in the very beginning, started out inactive, like, weren't a natural runner, wasn't a natural athlete. And it's just, it's so much more incredible looking at everything you've accomplished to see that, you know, you don't have to be born this natural athlete, or you don't have to be active right from the jump, like anyone can go in and, and really grind out the work to to accomplish like some of the things that you're doing. So I definitely commend you for that story, my friend. It's an inspiration inspires me as someone who is also not a natural athlete and many others out there. And I'm curious, like along your journey, cause you're known as the low carb runner. You're a very big proponent on a high fat approach to training and life. How did you dive into that? And why did it become such a pivotal point of your running career?
1: Yeah. So I started my first ultra was 2013 um, and I, I had like a high carb approach. I don't even want to say high carb. It was just like a standard American diet, like basically eat whatever I want. Um, and I actually probably like started having like a bad diet because um, like I, I hurt. I don't feel like it's so much the mentality today as it was when I started running. But like when I started, the mentality was you just need calories and it doesn't matter what form of calories. So like I had a bunch of pizza, um, a lot of like sweets, Mountain Dew ice cream, like just a bunch of crap. And I actually started gaining weight when I started running, um, which didn't bother me too much. But the thing that did bother me is like all of my races, I had digestive issues. So I was trying to like stay up to date with the many, like as many calories as I was like told that I should take per hour. Um, and then I just ended up puking cause I couldn't handle it. And then, so I would go into my next race and, um, like have, have fewer calories to try to avoid that. And while I didn't puke, um, I, I ended up like having energy issues and like, it wasn't common. It wasn't uncommon for me to go into a 50 miler pretty strong and then like walk it in for the final 20 miles just cause I blew up and had no energy. Um, and so it was just a cycle like I got to a point where I even considered stopping ultra running just because it wasn't fun for me mm. uh, but I, I ended up getting a job for ultra footwear I was in their marketing department I was the sports marketing manager and um, I met Jeff Browning at a, an athlete retreat that we had here in Utah so this was this was 2017 that I met him um, it was April of 2017 and Like we had a five hour drive. We flew him into the Salt Lake city airport here in Utah. And then we drove three and a half hours South to Zion national park to have a retreat there. And like that whole drive, I was driving and Jeff Browning was in the front seat. Um, I had a can of the the white monster that I was sipping as he was telling me about his crazy diet where he didn't eat a lot of sugar and basically only ate meat and vegetables. Um, but the thing, and if anybody's heard Jeff Browning on a podcast, like they know that he can really talk about the science behind a low carb, high fat approach. And so like, I just had three and a half hours of him just like telling me all this stuff, everything that most people have to research on a podcast. And, um, you know, I heard him mention that the appeal is that you have to, like, you don't have to consume as many calories per hour, but because you're fat adapted, uh, you're not going to bonk. And so like, that was like, that's the, that as my solution, like I could eat less and eliminate the throwing up, but I, I wouldn't bonk like I was doing. So basically three or four days after that retreat, um, I remember it was the birth date of my son, um, April 17th. That's, that's the day I started a low carb, high fat approach. Um, in retrospect, it was a terrible day to do it because like, I don't know how many people listen to your podcast that are parents, but like when you're a first time parent like, it's a stressful time period, and then all your neighbors are bringing you dinner and stuff, so, like, I wasn't able to eat anything that people were bringing me, <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I started April 17th. It took about two to three months for me to, like, get adapted, which is longer than most people, um, mm-hmm. just because I didn't do the research I should have, should have done, so there's a lot of things I didn't do which could have helped me adapt faster, Um, But I just had like a lot of trust in Jeff Browning, like he was 46 years old and winning races and taking top 10 at Western States. So I just trusted the process and eventually started seeing the results. And, you know, I'm coming
0: up on five years of doing it. And it's definitely been a game changer for me. 100%. I mean you can even see it in the results that you've put up, right? Like I mentioned your success in the triple crown, the FKT attempts and obviously the the uh, zero calorie attempt for 24 hours which is impressive. So the results speak for themselves and it's it's one of those things where I you know I see some of the backlash against, you know, the uh high high fat kind of diets and it's crazy to think that people are still so pushing back to see after all that you've accomplished, but, uh, I definitely want to talk about how, you know, handle those backlash and things, even though, you know, it's proven by your results and even like Zach bitter and, and, and Jeff Browning, as you mentioned too, like there's other athletes out there doing it with a lot of success. So it's crazy to me, uh, that people are still pushing back, but regardless, besides the point, I definitely want to talk about how this plays into, you know, your zero calorie attempt. Cause I think it's so, so cool. What was your, like, intention of doing this, uh, 24 hour attempt with zero calories. And I guess, how does the low carb, uh, you know, uh, lifestyle fit into that approach and being able to complete that. So before diving into the 24
1: hour, I guess it would make sense to like explain why I tried it a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, cause as you said, this is my second time doing it, but so a year ago in May, I did a zero calorie, 100 miler. Um, and the reason I wanted to do that was because when I started doing a low carb approach, um, I did watch some lectures on, um, the Dr. Jeff Bullock put together, um, a lot of people who do low carb probably recognize that name, but he has a lot of good stuff on YouTube that talks about, um, like why one would consider doing it even like an athlete. And I, something that like always stuck out to me is he, he talked about our fat storage, and how all of us have like a very massive amount of storage of fat in our bodies. And, um, like he even gets told, or he he's been asked multiple times by like really thin people like, well, that like, I'm super thin. So there's no way I could have that much fat. And so he he pointed out that like, even the thinnest people in the world have enough fat, like have enough onboard fat where if they were put into a, like a starvation mode where they had to survive, they'd have enough fat to, like keep them going for like days. Um, I can't. I can't remember the amount he said, but basically every single person, skinny or larger, has enough fat to last them for days if they went into starvation mode. And so I wondered, like, how that translated to like being in a physical state. Because when he talked about that, he was talking about somebody that's just trying to survive. And so obviously, if you're exercising, like that window's gonna shorten. Um, so I just always was curious, like what that window shortened to and a big reason I was curious about that is because I did a lot of my training runs fasted, um, just because like, I felt fine doing that. Um, I was lazy. I didn't want to carry stuff with me. And then like in my head, I was like, well, if I just do this fasted, then I'm not going to have stomach issues because I don't have to digest any calories, (laughs) excuse me. So So between all that, I was just wondering how, how far it was possible to rely on my fat storage. So I just started doing my 10 mile training runs fasted, 15 miles, 20 miles. And I ended up getting up to a 50 K. Like I experienced no energy dips, no cramping, nothing. Like I felt totally fine. So um, that question was just always in my head. And then COVID happened, canceling all my races in 2020. So I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to design a a route, a hundred mile route that starts at my front door and ends at my front door. And I'm going to go out and see if I can run hundred miles without eating. Um, ended up being really successful with it. It was 18 and a half hours. Wasn't my fastest 100, but it definitely wasn't my slowest 100. Um, so yeah, so that's why I did the hundred miler a year ago. And the reason for this second attempt is because, While I felt amazing when I did the hundred miler, like I had no idea what was going on inside my body. Uh, I I didn't like do any kind of data collection. So Jeff Browning is actually my coach. And like every time we had a coaching call or would see each other in public, we always let say like, ah, I wish we collected data on that just to see what was happening. Because like, I feel great when I fast and run, but the current data says I shouldn't and that I'm probably doing some long-term damage. Mm -hmm. So we ended up just deciding to do it again, um, this time with the intent of collecting data. And I was planning on just doing like the same hundred mile route out the front door and end at the front door, but um, Jeff wanted to be a part of it. And um, he thought it would be cool to do it at a race format where like at across the years, it'd be easy to track because it's a one mile loop. I'd see him every mile. Um, it's easy to collect data. If there's issues, it's easy to find me just because I'm on this one mile loop. So so yeah, we ended up doing this again just to collect some data. Um, we measured my blood ke- we measured my blood ketones uh, during the event. We measured my glucose. I wore a continuous glucose monitor for two weeks before the race, and then during the race, and then two weeks after, just to see what happened to my blood glucose. And then we tested um, stress hormones and did blood draws. I'm still, I still have one more blood draw to do to measure about 15 different markers but yeah
0: so again to get some testing to see what's actually happening in my body that's awesome. That's so cool. First of all, I think it's so awesome that the first attempt you were just like, yep, hundred mile route. I'm just going to make it myself do this on my own and, and make the most out of all the canceled races in 2020. And not only that do zero calories. I mean, that is freaking awesome. Um, and it's so cool to see that you have, uh, you know, a second attempt with all the data, right? Like we're saying before how a lot of people, there's a lot of naysayers out there. This I feel like is going to be super helpful to see like that data and to be able to bring it more into light. So super thankful that you've been able to do that, you know, to, to dive into the data and track that a lot more, and like I said before, it was even cooler to see you in person. So, when I was there, you know, when I first saw you running, I, I think I saw you right near when you started, probably around like one o'clock, and you started at nine a.m. that day. And man, you were you are bolting! Like your stride looked great. You were smiling. You were like looking in good spirits. Tell me what kind of went through your mind during this attempt, and like how does it compare to? the other attempts that you do when you're eating, when you're out there and when it's kind of like a normal race versus running on zero calories? Like, what does that look like from a mindset perspective?
1: Yeah. So it's hard to compare. Well, first of all, like the biggest thing I get asked is how hungry I get. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't get hungry at all. Like I never craved food. I was fine. Um, This is only my second 24 hour race. The first one I did was desert solstice, which was around a high school track um so like both of my 24 hour races i i hated <laughs> um <laughs> just from like like i i just love like the the reason i i run and i feel like most most of us run is like the scenery mm-hmm. so like you know going out and doing like 100 miles through the mountains even that 100 mile loop i did around my house like it was mostly on the road but like like it was a hundred miles of different scenery. Um, I did it in the Valley I grew up. So like, I saw just like a lot of old like places where I've had memories, but like those 24 hour races where you're just going in loops over and over and over, like it gets so repetitive and so boring. So it's really, it's really hard to compare. Like, I feel like the majority of the issues that I had at this 24 hour race was just because of the format and not because I didn't have calories.
0: Hmm.
1: So So like mentally, it was just like, again, I wasn't craving food, but just like, I just got so bored of doing the same loop over and over. Um, The one thing that I will say that was extremely difficult was not having anything to carry me through the night. Mm. Um, When I did my hundred miler a year ago, I started at 6am and it only took 18 hours. So I finished before midnight. So like I got a full night's rest. Like I was able to get inside my house before like Like, you know, I go to bed between 11 and midnight, so it's not like I was up any longer than I would have been if I wasn't running. So like mentally I was fine, but at this 24 hour race, it was 24 hours. It started at 9 a.m. So I had the whole night to go through. So I I definitely noticed like there was a good four to five hour period where like having calories or or caffeine, even like I chose not to take caffeine because I wanted to make it like purely relying on my personal body. So I definitely noticed like in the night calories and, and, um, food would have helped. Um, cause like one thing I always talk about to people is like my capability of running through the night is pretty strong. I'm able to do a lot without little sleep. And usually when I do like a 200 mile race, I'm able to go through the first night without sleeping, just like totally fine. But, but this time around, like, um, yeah, as soon as I hit mile 100, I took a 45 minute nap just because like, I was having such a hard time keeping my eyes open.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I would definitely say that was like the only thing related to no calories that like negatively affected me was how tired I was in the night.
0: That's crazy. That is awesome. Like it shows like number one, how strong the mindset is number two, like how, how powerful your approach is to dieting and nutrition and everything. And number three, like shows that your training pays off. Like, so it's so cool to see that. Like you said, like the biggest things that was really the mental factor was the course, like, God bless you, man. Like, I can't even believe like running that same loop over and over again. And for those who are unfamiliar, it's like a, it's around like a spring training facility for the MLB. So it's like, you know, it's, not not the most uh, scenic, so to say, um, but still, man, a, incredible accomplishment. I'm curious. Do you, did you have a chance to like look at the data yet? Are you still kind of processing it? Um, what what are any of the findings that you had from it, if they are available right now?
1: The only thing I have is the glucose and the ketones. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> we're waiting to go through the blood work and the stress hormone testing as soon as we have it all. Mm-hmm. So. Again, I'm doing one more blood draw in like a week and a half. So I I imagine it won't be for another two and a half weeks before I see like all the data that I'm really curious about. Mm -hmm. Um, But like ketone wise, I don't know how much you know about ketones or or your followers, but basically when you follow a low carb, high fat approach, your body produces ketones and your body starts burning ketones versus glucose. Mm -hmm. Um, and usually like, you know, when you monitor your ketones, you do it with a blood draw or a breathalyzer and like 0.3 is low stage ketosis. And then you can get upwards of like, like I've heard of some people being a five plus, um, and that's like nutritional ketosis. Um, so like the only thing that was weird with the ketones, I guess not weird, but just like, it caught me off guard, but the more I thought about it, it made sense is my ketones didn't get that high. Um, I suspected that, and so to, to take another bat step, like the reason your ketones would be high is if you're in a deep state of fat burning. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you know, running 24 hours, not eating, like, obviously, I'm going to be in a deep state of fat burning. So I expected my ketones to be through the roof. Uh, but the, the most I ever produced was 0.7, which isn't that, like, that much at all. Like, I can get that much on just a normal day in, in my life. So at first that was weird, but then I was like, okay, that makes sense. Like I'm in a, like a really deep state of fat burning. So I'm burning through my ketones that my body's producing. And then glucose wise, um, I didn't know what to expect. So this wasn't like necessarily weird or anything, but my, my glucose was just stable throughout. Um, like a normal glucose range for people is 70 to 120. And I was just hovering between 78 and 84 for the whole thing. So no crazy dips, no spikes. Um, and then post post race i have noticed my glucose has been lower mm. than before um but
0: nothing too out of the ordinary so far from what i've seen wow that is that is incredible cuz usually when people and i don't know the science too too much but usually when people are eating you know the sugary high carb kind of foods right that's when your glucose usually goes on like a roller coaster ride right but you're right. saying yours is just like basically stable the entire time yeah. well and so um So uh, this
1: is the data. So I'm gonna share an experience I had. Like I I said, I was gonna be transparent in everything I did. Mm -hmm. I don't wanna hide anything. But two days after this, um, I did wanna do an experiment where I wanted to eat junk and see Mm -hmm. what my glucose did. So like, you know, I had a bunch of, so I finished on Friday morning. Um, I gave myself a day or two to eat low carb to help reduce my inflammation. But on Sunday, like I had a bunch of food that I haven't had in my four years. I had um, chips and salsa. I had some cheap Chinese food, (laughs) like just a bunch of breaded sugary junk. Um, And I was expecting like a huge shoot up in glucose because that's typically what would happen. But like my glucose did shoot up to like 120. Mm -hmm. So like it shot up, but it was still within the normal range. And then it came back down to the nineties within like 10 minutes. So I thought that was kind of crazy. And then I have done a couple more experience since then. Like I haven't eaten junk, but I have eaten like a lot of fruit. Like yesterday I had a big old fruit smoothie with a bunch of strawberries, blueberries, some honey. Um, and like my glucose didn't even spike at all. Like before I ate that I was at 72. And when I finished and an hour later, it went up to like
0: 75, but
1: that was about it. So,
0: Oh my gosh, that is great. Cause I would have expected. And again, I don't know too much of the science, but I would have expected like years of being on a low carb diet that it would have almost like a, like a multiplied effect, right? (laughs) Like years later, but it seems like it's just like way less. Cause I mean, like for me, I noticed like when I eat like sugary stuff, like I start to crash a little bit and I'm not tracking those things, but, um, I definitely noticed like a crash in energy levels and stuff like that. Did you like energetically, did you still feel like totally fine too? Or I guess like a question for you is like, do you ever incorporate carbs into your diet? Like on top of that, or is it, is it always just strict, like high fat protein kind of going forward from there?
1: Yeah. So I think that that just confirms the science behind what I'm doing. Um, and also what Zach Bitter and Jeff Browning are doing, Mm -hmm cause we're not, we're not keto athletes. Um, we mm-hmm. say OFM, which means optimized fat metabolism, um, and like slang terms, you could say it's strategic keto. So basically like we stay low carb basically always. And when I say low carb, we're usually 125 grams or less a day, mm-hmm. which is still like very low compared to a standard American diet. most Americans are getting 350 or higher. So, you know, it's still less than half, but like a strict keto diet is 30 grams. So it's definitely not a strict keto diet. And so like, basically the more training we do, the higher carbs we intake. Mm -hmm. Um, like today I did strength training, I did ab work and then I did a run. So today I had a strawberry smoothie. Um, I'm probably going to get roughly 110 carbs today. Whereas tomorrow I'm just going to do like an easy run and nothing else. So I'm going to be more like closer to 30 to 45 grams. So basically, the more I'm doing, the more carbs I'm getting, and the less I'm doing, the more strict keto I am. And so the reason we're doing that is we're trying to train our body to be a dual fuel burner. So in a race, take a gel, burn through that, get some quick energy, but then your body has no problem going right back to fat burning. So basically, you're getting the best of both worlds. So the fact that my blood glucose didn't really even spike just kind of shows to me that it's working, that like I felt that energy, but my body just burned right through it. It hardly affected me. And I just went right back into like a fat burning state basically.
0: That's interesting. See my, cause and it's interesting you say not a keto athlete, because I think a lot of people hear the high carb or the, sorry, the high fat approach. And they think like, even to my uh, admitted assumption is like, yeah, it's like no carbs at all. Right. But it seems like okay. you do still incorporate the carbs in the diet. And I feel like that makes it, uh, much more implementable as opposed to just having like a super restricted kind of diet, um, which I think is interesting. And I'm curious too, um, cause I'm sure the answer is yes, but would you say that like the low carb approach is one of like the biggest pillars to your success in, in ultra running going forward or, um, like w- what's kind of like your, your take on that? Like, would you say it would be like number one or would you put something else up? Like, I'm curious to hear how that fits into your success. I think so. Um, especially for what I do, Mm -hmm. basically the thing I tell people, the
1: longer racing, like the longer the races, the more a low carb approach makes sense. Mm -hmm. So if I was like, if my specialty was 50 Ks, um, I don't know if I'd be doing this approach. Interesting. Um, but like hundred miles and beyond, like I definitely think a low carb approach makes sense. And the reason being is because like biomechanically, the higher your heart rate, The more glucose you're burning, the Mm -hmm. lower your heart rate. Even if you're not a low carb athlete, the lower your heart rate, the more of a mix your body is doing—like it's burning fat and glucose. Mm. So, like 50k is if you're doing it competitively, like your heart rate's up there, and um, between the glucose you're getting from gels and then your storage of glycogen, like generally, if you maintain it well and your body digests what you eat well, like you can burn through your glucose and not like have a bonking issue in a 50k Mm. so but like a 200 miler like my heart rate's never getting that high Mm. um like like so my aerobic ceiling heart rate is 158 i'm never going above that and so like the average heart rate i have for a 200 mile race is high 130s which is relatively low yeah so because it's so low And I'm focusing more on consistency versus bouts of like speed. That's why a low carb approach would make more sense because like, naturally I'm going to be burning fat for fuel anyway. And so just optimizing that fat burning for those 200 mile races is why it makes the most sense for what I'm doing.
0: Right. That makes so much sense. And to your point too, right. (coughs) Lower heart rate's going to tap into the the fat reserves a lot more and it makes more sense. And so it's kind of going back to my point before and how it ties into this is like, the data's there. The data proves it. Your results proves it. Zach's results proves it. Jess results proves it. Like it's all there. What are the biggest like misconceptions about this diet that people still have that like you are trying to like pull like the reins off of because I I don't know. Is it more like this is how it always is, and people are are more upset about I guess a changing paradigm? Is it like a other schools of thought? Like I'm curious to hear like what are the biggest pushbacks you get and how do you handle those things? Because you know, if someone listening has an unconventional approach to running, hearing those things can be I, I mean, kudos to you for probably getting it a lot more than than other people, but how do you kind of handle that? And what are the misconceptions that you usually get about uh, a a high fat diet? So
1: like, I wonder how much of the misconception comes because people think I'm a keto athlete. Mm. Like I've, I've seen people comment on forums about me and what I'm doing. And like saying, Oh, that's so cool. Like, I wonder how many carbs he had before. Mm. And like, somebody will comment and say, he doesn't eat carbs. He just eats meat. And so like, I'm like, no, that's not true. I I eat fruit, I eat vegetables, I eat potatoes occasionally. So I wonder how much of the hate comes from thinking that we're like following like a strict keto diet instead Mm -hmm. of utilizing carbs and trying to be efficient at both. Um, I also think a lot of the hate just comes because of the like, I hate saying this phrase, but like because of what mainstream puts out, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, like nutritionists, the majority of the nutritionists that I know um, promote high carb, like have a lot of carbs after your run, have a lot of carbs before your run. I saw a nutritionist put on her post that she considered pretzels and fig Newtons as whole food. Um, oh God. I, I, I did not understand that at all, but <laughs> like, like, there's just so much out there about like carbs and like why you need carbs and carbs, carbs, carbs. So like definitely the majority of the professionals out there are still pushing that. So I think that's where a lot of hate comes from because I'm not a nutritionist. Zach's not a nutritionist. Jeff's not a nutritionist, but we're promoting this low carb lifestyle. So they think that we're promoting something that's not working for the majority of the world. And because we're not a professional in nutrition, we shouldn't be talking about it. So I definitely think there's that. Um, I also wonder how much of it is like an emotional attachment that, that a lot of people still have the mindset I had when I started and I'm running, I need calories and it doesn't matter what calories I have. So I'm going to like gorge myself and all this food that probably isn't the best for me. Um, and then as more and more people start doing a low carb approach and start seeing success in it, like it, it might, it might create a little bit of fear, anxiety in their lives where it's like, uh, maybe, maybe this food's not as good for me, but like I want it. I like it. So I don't know. Um, all of this is just guessing, but I think the main reason that people have so much hate for it is they just misunderstand how many carbs, um, I'm actually eating in a day Mm. and that I still do eat fruit. I think that's a big one that I'm not cutting out fruit. Um, the fasting definitely, um, people definitely do not like me talking about fasting. Um, and I, I get that one more than the low carb approach. Like it blows my way. It blows my mind how much people hate low carb. And I I don't know if I'll ever understand the hate for that, but like fasting, I can kind of understand just because, Mm -hmm. you know, at least with low carb, more and more data is coming forward and showing how it does work fasting. Like there's not really any data that shows that right now. Like most of it's Mm -hmm. just showing how bad it is. So I do get the hate for like being a, an endurance athlete and promoting fasting. Um, and then the way I handle it is I just um laugh, laugh, laugh it off and and use that to encourage me to keep talking about it. <laughs> like basically anytime you see me do a post on my Instagram about how I eat, it's usually because somebody sent me a message telling me to stop. And so my response is to like talk about it a little bit harder. <laughs> So <laughs> that's kind of my way to do it. Um, I don't know if it's the right way um, I, and I try to be tactful about it like I'm never gonna post something and say like like you're you're a bunch of sissies if you don't try to eat a low carb approach and I'm better than all you like I, I'm never gonna say something like that because like I do believe everybody, everybody works differently and like you know Jim Walmsley he's last I heard he's vegan or vegetarian and you know, he's doing 14 hours at Western States and that works for him, but it doesn't work for me. So, you know, I'll never say that this is the one way to do things. Um, but so yeah, I just, I just laugh it off and talk about it more and just know that like, this is just how the world is. And like, the more I'm going to talk about something that's not mainstream and the more success I see with it, the more people are going to reply with hate and try to get me to stop.
0: Yeah. And that, that's a really insightful answer. The reason why I asked that is because uh, I want people, cause I, I know the, there might be some, I hope not, but there might be some people out here listening to this podcast who have those things. And I wanted you to describe that just so people can like understand and be like, Hey, like, you know, maybe I am thinking about this cause I have an attachment or maybe, you know, it, like even for me, like, to be honest, like for me, I follow like probably like the standard runner's diet. And at first, like when, and I used to do keto a while back um, before I was running, but then when I started running, I kind of went back to that diet. But the more I started thinking about it it is like, am I like in this spot, not being open to it because it's the way that society is teaching us, or should I actually be open and look at the people that are successful like you and just be curious and look at the data and all those things. So the reason why I asked is because like, hearing those misconceptions helped me to like break it down. And I would hope people listening, you know, would, would help to break down their misconceptions, even if they're not going to adapt the diet, but just to be open to it, if that makes sense. And, you know, I'm glad to give you a platform to to keep talking about it and keep showing the data, which is so important, right? You're back in the data. It's not just experience. It's true science. That's like backed by it, which is so cool. Um, but yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing that because I'm hoping it helps people to you know, break down their, their misconceptions.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. And the other thing I do want to say too, is I like the biggest thing I want is people to have like empathy towards other people's choice of diet. Mm. Cause like, I, I do see often that people think I have an eating disorder. Yeah. Um, I, I like, like I would come back and say, I probably do have an eating disorder, but not in the way that they're thinking. Um, people think because I fast, like I'm obsessed with calories like that. I see that a lot. Like this guy's so obsessed with calories. Like he's obviously has an eating disorder. And it's like, well, if you follow my stories, you'll see, like, I can put down some food. Like, I don't know if you've seen those huge hamburger patties that I made. Oh with, yeah. <laughs> cheese and bacon. And it's like, I'm still getting three to 4,000 calories a day, even though I'm fasting. So like in the sense that they're thinking I don't have an eating disorder, like I, I don't care about calories, but I would say that like, I'm a binge eater. Um, I have no self-control. Like if I'm not strict, I don't have self-control. So like that day that I had some cheap Chinese food, like I went crazy. Like as soon as I like let off those reins, like I don't have control. And so I think that's why like I, I had weight issues as a kid is I just can eat and eat and eat and eat. And so for me, like I need to eat this way. I need to implement fasting. I need to cut out like all the junk because if I let in just a little bit of junk, like like I spark something and I just go to town. So, so just, I, so I guess what I'm trying to say is like, it just, nobody understands why people are doing a low carb approach. Nobody understands why people do fasting and mm-hmm. like, like people just need to know that there's context behind it. And, um, just, you know, try to understand a little bit more that there's more to the story, um, as to why somebody eats the way that they do basically.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. Like that, man, that, that, you know, really hit me just saying that too. And even as you were saying that, I was thinking about uh, a friend in my life who, you know, he has like this autoimmune disorder and he like couldn't eat carbs. And he like went to a carnivore diet, which is another like very controversial thing, but for him it works and he's healthy and he doesn't have flare-ups anymore. And it's like, if people understood, he's not just doing the carnivore diet to like hop on like a Joe Rogan train or something (laughs) like he's doing it for his health reasons. Like, I think what you said there is probably like one of the most important things that people need to hear about, you know, different diets and how people eat and everything like that. So thank you so much for sharing that. And one thing that I thought was so interesting, what you said there is like, you know, you, you set up this system to basically be able to keep yourself healthy, keep your mind in check and like put those tendencies aside. And I know, you know, from experience, even personally, knowing some people too, that, other runners and other people that's to this podcast do have some of those tendencies that do slip in, what maintains you to keep that discipline and stay the course to reach your goals, to reach where you want to be, and ultimately to, to set your life up in a way that you want, uh, whether it's training, uh, dieting, health, anything like that, um, because you don't, you don't just do what you accomplish without a, without a lack of discipline. So I'm curious what your approach to that is, how you stay the course.
1: I mean I just try to always remind myself that I've seen both sides. Um like I've seen the side I'm on currently where I feel healthy, I feel fit, like I'm able to go run 118 miles without eating. I'm able to go run 240 miles through Moab and have like no issues. Um whereas like before when I did like a high carb approach and ate whatever I want, like I was I was going through a lot of injury, I had stomach issues even rewinding all the way back to when I was in high school. Like I, I was overweight. I got made fun of. I I remember being so out of shape that like my buddies tried getting me into mountain biking and like, they let me borrow their bike. We went to this trail, we started biking it. We got no more than a mile in. And I, like I stopped and convinced everybody else to stop by offering to buy them, um, a buffet dinner. (laughs) So we, we got like half a mile in, we stopped, we went back to the truck, we went back into town and I bought everybody dinner because I didn't want to go mountain biking because I was so out of shape. So Mm -hmm. I've seen both sides. I've known, like, I know how I feel on both sides. Like, I just feel so much better being on this side than when I was on the other side. So it's just always something to remind myself that, um, like the days that i that I wake up and like, I don't like, this rarely happens. Thankfully. I'm usually pretty motivated, but like the days that I wake up and I don't feel like running, um, like I will adhere to that a little bit. Cause I do believe in listening to your body. So like, if I had like a 12 mile run plan that day and I just wasn't feeling it because it's not happening like all the time, because it's like such a rare experience for me, like I'll listen to my body and go out for a five or six mile run instead. But I still like try to be consistent and still get out the door. So, um, I don't know where I was going with that (laughs) Um, but basically um, because it's like some because I'm on this side and know how I feel on this side like it's pretty easy for me to get out the door because I want to keep staying on this side and I never I
0: never want to go back to how I was feeling before I started doing all this that's powerful man damn you you're you continue to inspire me man like that was just inspiring (laughs) to hear that to like Again, like hold that space for like where you were and then where you are now and what you're doing to to stay that path. And not only that, but inspiring other people through your journey. I mean, hell, you've inspired me. I know you've inspired many others who are following your journey. And I'm sure people listen to this podcast who are also inspired. So thank you for being an example of that man. And uh, speaking of continuing to inspire I know, uh, you recently posted about this, uh, a few days ago and, uh, about your next big, uh, challenge and attempt. It's one of the uh, granddaddies in ultra running. Uh, would you mind sharing with our, aud- our audience, what you're, what you're going to be attempting next year? Um, somewhere around the range of 135 miles. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, was like, I, posted, I posted about two races. So <laughs> yeah, that, that helps. That's why I threw that one in there. I was <laughs> like, oh wait, I forgot there's two posts. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. So I'm going to do bad water this year. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I signed up. So I, I hate the heat. And, um, as you can see last year, like I had a pretty negative experience with it, where I had to go to the hospital because of, um, rhabdomyolysis, Mm. which is premature kidney failure. Basically your body starts breaking down so much protein that leaks into your bloodstream and then your kidneys can't filter it. So, But I already had issues with the heat before that happened, but that definitely like made my issues with the heat like quite a bit higher. (laughs) Um, I am afraid of the heat, but uh, two years ago, I applied for the Badwater Lottery just because um, everybody told me that if you want to do it one day, start applying because usually you can't get in. Um, At least if you haven't like volunteered at a Badwater race or crewed somebody at a Badwater race, like he likes you to be out there to see what it's like, just so you know what you're getting yourself into. So I applied, um, just to begin that process and I ended up getting picked to do it. (laughs) And so, um, that, but you know, once, once I've committed to something, I'm going to do it. So as soon as I saw my name, I committed to it. And then like two weeks before it canceled because COVID cases started going up. And so he, he gave everybody that year, the option to defer their entry to 2021 or 2022. And so since, um, like I didn't know how 2021 was going to go. I was worried it might cancel again. So I deferred to 2022. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I have an automatic entry this year and like, I'm, I don't want to pass up on it since I already have that automatic entry. So just yeah, doing bad water because I got picked and, um, definitely gonna try to figure out a good strategy to be ready for it.
0: So I don't have the same issue with this race as I did my last hot race. Mm. And it's impressive, man, when you say the, the heat scares me, but you're going into it and you signed up for it and you're committing to it. Like, again, just uh, so much honor and respect because, uh, damn, I mean, I live in Arizona and even just walking outside in the heat is brutal. Summer, so Godspeed to you, my friend. It's going to be fun to watch. And real, real quickly, we're coming on the tail end, but what's the second race? Real brief. Uh, the, the one that you announced as well. Cocodona 250. <clears throat> so
1: starts in Phoenix area and goes to Flagstaff. Mm-hmm. I am going to say though, like <clears throat> the, the glory of COVID, if I, if I was to say there was a glory of COVID, it was the realization that companies develop that you can work remote. Mm-hmm. So because I do work remote now, like I, I booked a, um, a condo in Phoenix and I'm going to go out about two weeks early, start training in the heat <clears throat> get used to that. Because last year, um, I remember when I left Logan, Logan, Utah, where I live, it was snowing. And then I headed to Phoenix, Arizona, to run in a race that like got it into the upper 90s. So it's hard to prepare for something like that when you live in the cold mountains. So um, definitely taking steps to be a little bit more ready for those kind of
0: races. Makes sense. You know, if you want the heat training, this is the, this is the place to do it for sure. So <laughs> yeah, so, sounds like a great approach and I'll actually be at Coca-Dona. So hopefully I will see you there. I, I know I'll be uh, cheering on Hector too, who who's one nice. of the, uh, yeah. So one of uh, good friends of both the bars. So I'll definitely see you there and cheer you on. And uh, we're coming on the tail end of the podcast, Mike. Um, first of all, I'd love for you to give a shout out to your sponsors who supports you to give you a platform to do it. And then where can our listeners find you and follow you and support you on social media? after this podcast.
1: Okay. Uh Solomon, my shoe sponsor, um, Koros and Gingy, Squirrels Nut Butter, Primal, uh, Primal Kitchen, Primal Foods, uh, Gnarly. And then I also, <clears throat> I wouldn't say they're a sponsor of mine, but they're definitely important in my journey. Um, I, I work with a nonprofit that raises adoption grants for children who have Down syndrome that were abandoned. Um, so i definitely do a lot of my races on behalf of a child with down syndrome who was abandoned um so yeah they're called rods heroes r-o-d-s heroes um and then you can find me on uh, i'm uh, on instagram i'm the low carb runner and then i have a website that's lowcarb dash runner.com
0: um those are the two main places you can find me Awesome. Awesome. I can't wait for our audience to, to tune in and, and see all those Instagram stories of all the incredibly delicious food that you always post and you're trading and everything. But uh, all that aside too, uh, you're an inspiration, Mike, and I encourage everybody here to follow you because uh, again, you, you inspire me every day to be a better runner. And uh, I'm so excited to see the rest of your journeys and to end this conversation, which I wish was a few hours longer because I can keep going with you, but to be respectful of your time, what's the one thing that our listeners can do every single day to be a better endurance athlete be consistent so
1: okay. like, like i was saying earlier <clears throat> if you have a 12 mile run scheduled and you get busy like at least get out for whatever is comfortable for you 30 minutes 45 minutes just be consistent
0: love it mike uh thank you so much for that so much for this episode man this was one of the most insightful i've had one to date and i um, really grateful for your time man i appreciate you coming on Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Everyday Ultra Podcast. Appreciate you listening in. And if you have any topics or guests or suggestions for the show, I would love to hear that because I want to make sure this show is so valuable to you that I'm able to provide all the things that you're looking for to become a better endurance athlete every day. So if you have those things, feel free to send them over to me on Instagram at joecorcion. That is my handle, J-O-E-C-O-R-C-I-O-N-E. And i be more than happy to fit it into the show, reach out to the guests that you're looking for, and ultimately give the value that you're looking for. Um, If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it. Uh, We would love to get more ultra runners and uh, people in the ultra endurance community listening to this podcast, because the more this podcast grows, the better we're able to serve you as well. And so thank you so, so much again for listening in. I tell you, I do not take it lightly. And remember my friends, become a better endurance athlete every single day. Take care.